0: So I have pictures today. Um, so uh, we're we're going to start a new a new series of messages today, uh, talking about the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, it's a new. The, I've titled the the series the Saga of the Lost Ark as opposed to Raiders of the Lost Ark because um, there actually was. A lost ark, and it really got lost, and it's in the Bible. And we're gonna we're gonna hear kind of its story as opposed to the Hollywood story. Now, this is a picture. Um, this is actually not from the movie. This is from the attraction at a Disney um, uh, theme park. But um, you can see there. There's Indiana Jones and his friend Saleh, and they're in the bottom of the pit of uh, what is it, the Well of Souls, and there's snakes writhing around and so forth, and they're pulling the uh, Ark of the Covenant up from the Well of Souls, very, very spooky. Um, and so that's what Hollywood's vision of the Lost Ark is. Uh, but it's not actually too far from what the Lost Ark might be, except for its location. So um, in the 19th century, there was a, a, an artist named Tissot who painted this picture, and you can see it's kind of the same thing. Uh, so that is actually a picture that he painted of the event we, we hear about in Scripture, the, the crossing of the Jordan. So um, uh, that is the Ark there in the middle, The four the four guys with the poles. They're carrying the Ark on the poles. And the next picture is kind of a zoomed-in picture. So that's the cherubim that we heard about on the top. Cherubim is Hebrew for cherubs. Um, it's the plural word for a cherub. And a cherub in the Bible is really different from a cherub on a Valentine's Day card. Um, they are supposed to be very scary. Uh, there's debate about how many wings they've got, but the word cherub actually means a winged creature. So... Um, in, uh, Ezekiel, there's these terrifying creatures. They've got, they've got four wings and they cover up their hands and their feet, or six wings. Anyway, they've got a lot of wings and they cover up their hands and their feet and they fly. So they've got lots of wings. And in this case, the cherub are, the cherubim are supposed to face each other on the top of what is called the mercy seat. And the idea is they're overshadowing the place where God's presence dwells. So God's focus, uh, God's presence is focused on the, the mercy seat. Uh, which is guarded over by these two cherubim. So, that's on the top of the ark. The bottom of the ark is a chest, um, and it's um, uh, this is actually a place where you you notice that the Bible and art are sometimes wrong because if you listened closely during the reading of uh, the passage from Exodus, it said you are to put the, pole, the 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 loops for the poles on its feet, and I think the artist looked at that and said, "Boy, that doesn't look right." Um, and so they said, well, I don't know, I'm, I'm not so sure if I like a top-heavy ark, so I'm going to paint it a different way. So um, you see, though, there's the poles, and um, uh, they, they, they've got the poles, and they're carrying the ark, and inside the ark is uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the two tab- stone tablets that the law are carved on. So that's what's inside the ark, and... Um, uh, you see that that's really not too far from what hollywood did. So the next picture shows you uh this is the, this is the actual uh, prop they used in the movie and i love that our movie props are now in museums. So somebody took a picture of <laughs> the movie prop. Uh this is the arc from the Raiders of the Lost Ark. So they didn't do too bad of a job. Um, I'm sure they were influenced by the paintings and so forth. So anyway, that's that's the uh the arc as we see it in in hollywood. And what we're going to do is we're going to hear over the next couple of weeks the story of the real ark and the way it really got lost. But this week, all we're doing is just kind of setting things up and kind of hearing about it. We're picking up the story uh, close to the point where it got lost, but before it's actually lost. At this point in our story, obviously, everyone knows where the ark is. So. Um, uh, that's that's kind of where we're at today and if you have to leave early or if you not off then uh here's the here's the big question i would like you to uh to to be thinking about over over this week but but over the next couple of weeks as well when it comes to the ark the, the big question is what if you're waiting for god to do something but really god is waiting for you what if you're waiting for god but really god is waiting on you. So that's the that's the big question we're going to be looking at over the next couple of uh weeks um and particularly today. So um that's that's kind of where we're headed. Now, the way we're going to get there is I'm going to tell you about my vacation because I do that. Um so um let me tell you what I did this week. We we took 2 days off and we went to the Kasilof River and uh we caught exactly 0 fish. We had a much bigger net than the uh anglers who were next to us with their with their fishing poles. Uh, but we caught exactly the same number of fish as they did. Mostly, what I did is I looked at the river, um, and you know I'm thinking about this this uh, passage of scripture, and I'm looking at this river, and um, so so that's what I did. Now, to be fair, I, I noticed the anglers were not catching anything either. So here's a picture of the anglers. Um, the next one. What? Well, maybe not. Maybe it's gone. So anyway, we spent a lot of time looking at the the Casilaf um, River. And we went down to the mouth of the of the Kasilof, and there was no water there, uh, but there were cars stuck in the mud. And we figured, between the fact there was no water, there's probably no likelihood of fish, and uh, getting stuck in the mud, it just didn't sound like a good time. So we went back to the the camp, and we we did our staring at the water, up where there was a lot. And in fact, there actually was a lot. The anglers were were they're all wearing their hip waders, but nobody was in the water. And the reason is they're they're looking at it, and going, you know, this water is really high. And it's really fast, so I don't know. I've never got you know a point of comparison, but it was zooming right by, and it was right up to the top. And they're saying, you know, normally when I come here, there's there's sandbars, and I can go out and fish there, and it's like whatever. So uh, nobody liked the the river, uh, partly because it was empty of fish, apparently. Um, but uh, also because it was too high and fast. And because it was high and because it was fast, I was thinking to myself, I would not like to cross this river. I'm thinking again about the Joshua passage. I would not like to cross this river. I don't know what the Jordan is like, but this is one I wouldn't want to try and walk across. So that was what I was thinking about. And um, that is basically the problem that the, the people in the Scripture are facing. They're looking at a river and... That's their problem. They're looking at the river, saying, "How are we going to ever get across this?" But it's really the latest in a long series of problems, and it's the first in another series of problems. So, what's been going on with them? This is the this is the Holy Land. You can see, there's kind of it, it slides off to the side, and that's where um, Egypt is, and then it goes up up toward Turkey. So, this is kind of the bottom southwest corner, southeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea, and you can see the Sea of Galilee is the lake up at the top and the Dead Sea is the bigger lake down at the bottom, and the Jordan River runs in between them. And where the people of God have been is uh, in the next slide. They have been for 40 years, they've been down in the wilderness, wandering around in circles for 40 years, until all the generation before them died off. So everybody there, except for Joshua and Caleb, was born in the wilderness. So they've never been anywhere. They are true hicks. They've never been to the big city. They've never been to the Jordan River. They've never been anywhere but the wilderness. And so you would think that now that it's time for them to go to the Holy Land, they would go that way. They would just kind of head straight up north and and a little bit east, and they would go to the Holy Land. But that's not what happens. Instead, God tells them, don't go that way. Uh, Go around to the far side. Go to the east side of the Dead Sea, and you'll come in from the east, uh, and you'll cross the Jordan. So we're going to zoom in on that picture. So we're going to zoom in on that area there. Now, um, the next picture. Uh, so this is where they're at. So they're up at the kind of the north end of the Dead Sea, and they're looking across this valley, and they're looking uh, from Shittim, which is where they've been camping, and they're going to go across the Jordan River. They've got two problems. First of all, they've got Jericho. If you go back and read chapter 2, you find out that the people of Jericho are alerted. They've heard that these people are on the march. They've heard that God has blessed them. They've won every battle they've had for the last however long. And so they're saying... We don't like this, so they're like on high alert, and they're not—they're not happy about the people of God coming in. So uh, that's problem number two. But problem number one is staring right at them. It's the Jordan River. The Jordan River is um, normally—I think I've got a picture of it. They're—they're going to cross over to Jordan. They're going to cross over to a city called a uh, place called Gilgal, and normally they could do it because the Jordan River is not a big river. It's uh, uh, what I've read is the place where they probably crossed was about hundred feet across. And maybe three to ten feet deep in spots. So, so a very fordable river, not a big deal. Except our, our passage tells us that this was during the flooding season. So it tells us, uh, uh, specifically that the Jordan was overflowing all of its banks throughout the time of harvest. And I looked that up and apparently during time of har- harvest, the Jordan River in this area can be as much as 600 feet across and as much as 150 feet deep. So it's no longer a fordable river. Or maybe there are places you could ford, but these people have been 40 years in the wilderness. They don't know where the fords are, and the people, uh, when they do get across, any ford is probably going to be uh, guarded by those Jericho people who are on alert. So they've got a problem, which is how are we even going to get into the Holy Land, right? You know, God told us 40 years ago that we're going to have milk and honey, we're going to go to a land of milk and honey, and everyone's going to have their own uh, wine press, and it's just going to be awesome there, but we've been wandering around in the desert for 40 years, and now one more problem facing us. What are we going to do about this problem? I can't even see how to get across the river. So they were basically in the position, I was looking at this river thinking, I wouldn't want to cross this. They're in that position and in some, because at least there's nobody on the far side of the Kassilov who is going to try and kill me, so... That's their position. They're looking at this this story, or, or in the story, that's the position they're in. And, um, you know, I think we can relate to them, because we may not be worried about crossing the Jordan River, but I think a lot of us um, would like to hear what they hear. You remember what, 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 um, what we read? Joshua says to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So that's what they hear. They see these problems in front of them. But what they hear is, tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And I think a lot of us would like that. I mean, uh, I don't know what problems you're dealing with, you know, at work or uh, relationship problems. You know, I don't know what the doctor told you this week or what the doctor is going to tell you in a month when you finally get in. I don't know what's on your your mind. I don't know the, the specific problems you're dealing with. But wouldn't it be great if you could go to church and instead of me, Joshua's here today a guest preacher, Joshua, and through an interpreter, he told you, tomorrow the Lord will do wonders. I mean, wouldn't that be awesome to have somebody tell you, the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow? I I would love to have that happen, because I've got problems. And, And I'm sure you have problems, too. And you would like to have the kind of God that we read about in the Scriptures, the one who parts the Red Sea, the one who walks on water, All the great miracles we read about in Scripture, we'd love to have that kind of God. And instead, sometimes we just say, well, where is God? All I see is the problems. I don't see God working in this situation. So the question I'd like us to look at through the passage today is, what if we're waiting for God? What if we're saying, God, I want to be a better person. I want to deal with people differently. I've got got prejudice in my heart. And I would just like to, to, to deal with that differently. So Lord, I will start dealing with people in a different way once you remove the prejudice from my heart. Or we say, Lord, I've got problems being generous. And once you give me some more money, then I will start being generous. Or we say, or we say, Lord, I have got Problems at work. And if you just give me a better job with more, more money and easier work, then I will be able to deal with my problems at work because I won't have problems anymore because you will have blessed me in that way. Um, and, and, And whatever it is, whatever you're filling in the blank, you know, as you think about whatever problem it is, so often we say, I want God to do the wonder now. Instead of saying, I wonder if God is waiting for me to do something. So, that's kind of the question and maybe it's not even, maybe it's not even a problem. Maybe it's something where God has put something on your heart. Maybe you've got a dream. Maybe there's a vision, some possibility that God has opened up to you and you're saying, I want you God to do this so I know I can pursue that dream. I want you God to open up a path for me so I know that I can pursue that vision you've given me. Whatever that vision might be what the scripture invites us to ask is, what if God is waiting for us to take the first step? So let's go ahead and take a look very quickly at this passage of scripture. It says that, um, it says, early in the morning Joshua arose and they set out from Shatim and they camped there right at the bank of the Jordan before crossing over. And at the end of three days, the people said to the ones, the, the, the commanders said to the people, get ready, um. When you see the ark passing in front of you, follow it. It says, uh, then you shall set out from your place, follow it, so you'll know the place you should go, and you should, you have not passed this way before. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, a distance of about 2,000 cubits, about half a mile. Far enough that they're not in any danger, but they can see what's going on. And, and then Joshua says, the Lord will, will do wonders among you. And then, I love what he says, what it says next. It says, to the priests, Joshua said, "Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass in front of the people, so all right lucky lucky me, I drew the the lot i 'm going to be the first one to walk through on dry land god 's going to part the river just like in the um just like in the uh, uh, stories my parents used to tell me about the red sea that's going to be awesome i'm so glad I drew the the straw I get to carry the the ark He says the people are going to be watching oh that's going to be great, and then the Lord tells Joshua um, to uh to come to the edge of the waters and stand still in the Jordan. Now at this point, the priests are going, hold on a second, hold on a second. Uh, this water is rushing by. It's 600 feet across. It's 150 feet deep. And you want me to carry the Ark of the Covenant? This is the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, my parents told me about a story when, when Moses came down from Sinai carrying the Ten Commandments and he saw the people dancing around the golden calf and he broke the Ten Commandments and everything got really ugly for a long time. So I don't want to be the one who walks into the water and then slips, loses my footing, and falls over, and the ark goes tumbling that way, and the the Ten Commandments are are lost. I, I don't trust these jokers who are carrying their poles. I don't like this plan. I don't like this plan of me walking into the water because now I've got the entire nation knowing who to blame when the plagues and the darkness and all the other things happen, because I spilled the ark into this Jordan River. I don't like this plan at all. So he tells them to go stand in the water. And then it says, he said to the Israelites, pay attention. He says, watch them when the souls of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan flowing from above shall be cut off. They shall stand in a single heap. He doesn't tell the priests that. That's so hard. He says, he says, you guys just go, you know, start waltzing through the, the Jordan River. He tells the people, just watch them, it's gonna part when they get in there. But he doesn't tell the priest, the priests have to walk in to the river, not knowing what's going to happen. And knowing all the, all the bad things, all, all the bad ways this can end. So the priests are thinking, oh, I don't like this plan at all. So the people set out from their tents, they crossed the the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant were in front of the people, And then it tells us about the river. It's very wide and so forth. Um, But when the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the edge of the water, the waters flowing from above stood still, rising up in a single heap far off at Adam. So I read in one of my commentaries, apparently this is not unknown. Um, In 1921 or 1927, there was some kind of a landslide way up in the northern part of the Jordan River, and it actually blocked the river. So apparently there have been occasions where the river has dried up as recently as about a century ago. So maybe this is a natural event, but the story wants us to see it, and and I do see it as a miraculous event, that God somehow did something to make it possible for them to cross the river on dry land. So they step into the water, and as their feet touch the water, the water begins piling up upstream, and it drains downstream. And the people crossed over opposite Jericho, while all Israel crossing over on dry ground. The priests who bore the ark of the covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan until the entire nation finished crossing over the Jordan. So that's the picture. That's the picture of a life of faith. You know, I think I think most of us have got something. You know, when when I was talking about the thing we'd like God to do, the wonder that we'd like God to do in our lives, I don't think many of us have to think very hard to say, there's this thing I wish God would do. There's the thing I wish God would do for me. There's the thing I wish they, that God would do for her. There's the thing that God should do to him. Whatever whatever it is, that, that we don't have to think very hard to think of that wonder we would like God to do. But do we spend as much time thinking about what that first step into the river is like? Uh, we can visualize the river being parted, But can we visualize that first step? Because that is what a life of faith is all about. See, God could part the river before they get there. But God wants them to know when they go to Jericho, God is still with them. And so God is perpetually opening up these opportunities for us to trust Him. So then He can bless us. And then we say, okay, well, He blessed me in the past. I'm going to trust Him a little more. And then He can blow up our imaginations a little more. And then He can invite us to trust Him even further and then he can do something that completely amazes us. God wants us to trust him, and that is what a life of faith is all about. You know, I, I love the, the the way that it's described here. The ark is is this symbol of God's presence. It says it says, "Don't get too close, but watch it closely, and follow behind it." And that's really what Jesus is for us. Jesus told us to trust him, and he said. Watch me, I'll go first, and I'll lead the way. And so Jesus invites us to do the same thing. To see what He's done, the way He trusts God, and then to do the same thing in our own lives. So, what does that look like for you, that first step, that wonder you would like God to do? What is the first step? You know, for some of you it means you need to pick up the phone call. Uh, you need to pick up the phone, you need to make a call, and you need to say, look, let's, let's meet. We need to work this out. And you've been putting it off, and you need to do it. And maybe that's the first step. And what happens next is in God's hands. Maybe the first step for you is to tell your boss you just can't do it anymore. It's not any good for your family, or it's not any good for your career, or it's not any good for your, your, your legality. I, I don't know, but, but maybe what you need to do is you need to say, look, I just can't do that anymore. That, that I just am not going to be a part of that anymore because it's just doing, it's too destructive for me. Maybe what you need to do is pick up the phone call and call AA and find out when their meetings are. I I don't know what that first step is for you, but if you want God to do a wonder, maybe what you need is to take that first step and see what God does when you open up the opportunity for God to bless you. You know, there's a debate among theologians, and and you know, ask two theologians something, you get four opinions. But, but there's a debate among theologians. Does God do miracles like this? You know, uh, we all talk about it. it was a miracle. You know, I found a parking spot or something like that, right? But, does God do this kind of miracles? Does God part the rivers anymore? And uh, there are those who say no, God doesn't. I, if we if he did, we'd see it on CNN. And others say no, God still is at work in the world. God still does miracles, and. Uh, you know, there's good arguments on both sides. You know, uh, people pray for healing. We just spend some time praying for healing. People say, you know, God doesn't heal anymore. And I it's like, well, I understand the argument. The argument is that God wants everybody to be healed. He doesn't want to just heal four or five lucky people. God doesn't want to do some miraculous healing for for a couple of lucky people. God wants everyone to be healing. So, So he has provided a world where... There are doctors, and we can understand disease. We can we can improve technology, and people can can be healed. And, I, all right, okay, I get that, I get that. But you know what? When I go to the hospital, when I visit somebody in the hospital, I pray for healing. And I, I tell God, you know, if you use the doctors, if you use the nurses, if you use this institution to make this person better, that's great. But I'm okay with you confounding the doctors. I'm okay if the doctors say say to the patient, I don't understand these results. You're a lot better than you should be. I'm okay with that, too. I don't know what kind of miracles God can do. But what I wonder when I read a passage like this one today is those big miracles, the ones that everybody would be startled by. I wonder, not does God do them. What I wonder is, how many would God do if we didn't wait Him out? If we said to God, this is a mess, this situation... I can't solve this situation. I need you to be present, God. I need you to do something in this situation. But I'm going to act in faith that you will. I'm going to do that first step. And I just imagine what, what the world would be like if Christians were characterized as having that kind of faith. If people looked at us and said, they keep doing the impossible, or they keep, the impossible keeps happening around them. They just assume that God is going to bless them, that God is going to be at work in their life, And God is. So I don't know how many miracles God is going to do. I don't know miraculous partings of the sea and so forth. But I do wonder, how many miracles would God do if we didn't wait him out? So, let's be the kind of people who step into the river, who make that phone call, who talk to that employer, who talk to that boyfriend or girlfriend, who talk to their parents. We say, look... I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm opening up an opportunity for God to respond, for God to do what only God can do. Let's take that first step. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the lessons that we see in Scripture, including the hard lessons, the lessons that tell us, really, it's not on us, but you're waiting for us. So we pray, Lord, you'd help us to, to have uh, open eyes that we could see those pop, pop possibilities those opportunities in front of us and that we would then step into the river that we would trust you and know that it's not up to us to solve the problem it's just up to us to step into the river we pray you do these things in the name of christ our lord amen